I feel like being a child actor breaks, you know, X percentage of folks. Um, <laughs> you know, let, let's call it 60% or whatever the number is. It really you know? does mess people up. And I've, uh, it, it's, I, I, I'm not above saying like it's probably messed me up to some degree. I do my best to have it not mess me up too much. I've seen it mess other people up way worse um, for a lot of reasons. And, and it's part of what is actually makes me really concerned about the way that online culture is moving right now, which is just, and look, there's something really wonderful about kind of democratizing fame. But what it also does is it, it brings those kinds of struggles and that kind of addiction into kind of everyone's life. It worries me. It, it, it makes me feel like we should be worried. You know, yeah. it, like you, you have teenage kids, like, you know, having like their entire high school class, like following them into their bedroom, like, you know, on their smartphone or whatever. I mean, like, you know, like, like that, that's a very intense experience that, yeah. uh, that previous and you, generations you start to had think not had. of yourself differently. If you are a performance and there's no boundary there, then like it, you, it's, it's easy to lose track of that core relationship that you have with yourself. Welcome back everyone to Yank Speaks. We're here, we've got Joseph Gordon-Levitt today, which is extremely exciting. Before that, we've got some news of the day. Andrew, news of the day we need to talk about, TikTok, which you've joked about. I think you've said TikTok is when Instagram Instagram is too intellectual for you. Yeah, uh, which, which, which which sounds like I'm poking fun, but I love TikTok. I've been um, endlessly amused by videos on TikTok. I've been in videos. Uh, the creativity is awesome and immense. And if you don't use TikTok, it probably means that you're old, <laughs> yep. because if you're a young person, you are all over it. It's very much the social media network of the future. And when word came out that Trump was looking to ban it, uh, there is immediately an anti-Trump uh, reaction to it because he's an asshole mm -hmm. and like he's doing it because the kids were screwing with him in his rally on TikTok and Sarah Cooper was mocking <laughs> him and like the rest of it. But, uh, you know, there there's a legitimate case to be made that um, TikTok having access to our kids' data is not a good idea. Uh, mm -hmm. It's owned by a Chinese company, ByteDance, that has almost certainly some sort of relationship with the Chinese. There have been some indications that uh, they are, that TikTok is uh, appropriating folks' data. Uh, and right. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have all been banned in China essentially from the get-go. Uh, right. And so there's a legitimate case that Chinese ownership of a social media network that's used by all of our young people is not a good idea. And right. uh, it looks like Microsoft is going to buy TikTok. And then uh, depending upon how your feelings, to me, I, I tweeted that that's a win. Because if you're looking at a social media network that has tens of millions of users, you need a heavy duty player to come take stewardship of this if it's going to grow and function well and have um, the, the right security in place and everything else. Uh, and Microsoft certainly has that heft. Uh, the danger in my mind was that Facebook or Google was going to wind up with TikTok, which I did not like. Uh, right. But Microsoft is something of an also-ran in social media. They do own LinkedIn, which 
you could consider a social media network for professional purposes, but most people don't really think of LinkedIn that way. You know, you're not like going on and, and sharing your kitchen videos on LinkedIn, or if you uh, are, then you probably <laughs> people do that. yell at you too if you get too personal. And you do that for LinkedIn. a living. Yeah. Um, so it. Uh, so I think the Microsoft acquisition of TikTok is a positive resolution because it assuages any of the data ownership concerns, uh, at least insofar as the Chinese government is. Uh, attached. Um, and then it goes into the same levels of concerns you have about major tech companies owning our data. Um, mm-hmm. But at least Microsoft is not Facebook just uh, gobbling up more and more of the social media networks that exist. If anything, Facebook and Instagram should be separated. Uh, and I think at this point, Congress is um, kicking itself in the head or the FTC for allowing that acquisition to take place uh, a while back because um, right. that that would have actually led to a much more genuine competitive landscape in social media. And Andrew, you've talked about that a lot, about the competitive aspect of these companies. So if you don't know what TikTok is, you're probably like me. Only 9% of the country, the United States, actually uses it. But that number jumps to almost 50%, 49% when you talk about teenagers. So the kids are all doing it, essentially, and adults have not even come close to keeping up. So w- my question for you is, Facebook has been obliterating any sort of competition. To me, TikTok is the only realistic competitor in the social media, like up-and-coming new competitor in the social media space. Is it right? So it feels right to not like, quote, unquote, give this to Facebook. But is it right that our federal government's like, here you go, Microsoft, you can be a player now? Like, what, like, what's the government's role in that? It feels like Russia a little bit where we're like, oh, here's a company for you, you know? Um, I, I guess that's an extreme example. But what are your thoughts on the government's role in handing over the one new competitor in this space? Well, again, if you're looking at the range of technology companies that could afford the, let's call it, $50 billion acquisition of TikTok... Right. The list is not that long, uh, and, yeah. and and you want to find a company that is not a major player in consumer-facing social media, and Microsoft, again, depending upon how you uh, categorize LinkedIn, qualifies. Right. Uh, most people think of Microsoft as this boring, stodgy uh, business software company, and, and so right. it, it doesn't have the same problems. Uh, I don't dislike it. Because okay. again, the the range of realistic acquirers is pretty limited. In like there are, there weren't many folks that could actually absorb a TikTok and have it make any sense at all. Yeah. The other thing is for those listening, it is there. This is legal, and there's precedent on this. Like the the Committee on Foreign Investment (CFIUS) is in their right to either block mergers or encourage mergers or block various acquisitions. Um, so this isn't. While the left hates everything Trump does, I don't think this. I think I agree with you. I think rational thought would say this is probably the right move to make sure that half of our teenagers aren't being spied on by the Chinese government. And TikTok's going to continue to exist. Uh, and Instagram just released its TikTok clone. To your point about competition, yeah. Reels. Uh, Reels. You know, so I haven't tried it yet. So, in terms of consumers being able to to make short form videos with fun music and the rest of it i mean that that's not going away i mean tiktok right. you know if, if it changes hands like the average teenager might not even know it freaking happened they're not gonna notice um, yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, so all, all will be well tiktokers out there appreciate no you 
yeah you you know keep using that creativity i enjoy tiktok i mean it is i like uh, you know uh, it, it, you can see why it's so uh popular and growing so yeah, quick it's generally hilarious um i'm a fan too um so i want to talk about this quickly because we're now we're recording this on basically six days but by the time you listen it'll be well over a week um, since July ended, which was when the $600 expansion unemployment um, dried up, if you will, and canceled. And Congress has done nothing. And I'm pissed because my thought is very simple, and I would love your thoughts, Andrew. My thought is very is simply that if Congress can't help us right now, like at, at this moment, like when are they ever going to help us, right? Like the world's burning, everything's on fire, like please act, and they can't get their shit together now. Is it hopeless? Like, what are your thoughts on the Congress in action and where we are right now? Yeah, it's a sign of just how dysfunctional things have become, where to me, it's pretty clear that Republicans wanted to drag this out to the end of July because they thought then Democrats would cave on whatever resolution they came to because they thought that Democrats would not allow benefits to expire. Uh, And Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats decided not to go that direction this time. And so now they're trying to bridge a gap between a trillion dollars and three and a half trillion dollars. It breaks my heart that families are going to miss benefits for, uh, let's call it two weeks, because even if a resolution is hammered out right now, like it's not going to be like immediate disbursement of uh, benefits to folks. I do think we're going to see continued unemployment benefits. I do think we're going to see some kind of um, stimulus check to folks again. But it, it's disgusting and infuriating that uh, our leaders would be playing fast and loose and brinkmanship with benefits that are keeping tens of millions of American families afloat. Uh, you know, it, it's a reason why we're all so despondent and disgusted that they don't do even the obvious things. You know, when I look at what's going on in D.C., Zach, the big date I see is August 10th because that's when the senators were supposed to go back to their hometowns on vacation. Uh, and so, no, I mean, you know, in theory to work in their districts and some of them are up for re-election. So those senators would yeah. be working hard. Um, but to me, they're going to get it done before that date because of the fact that um, they're not going to want to force everyone. Like, like that's literally how this bullshit works is what I get so disgusted yeah. by. Is like they looked up and were like, well, we got to be in town till then anyway. So, you know, Might we drag well. this thing to the, 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 the deadline. Note, they did not get it done before that date. I hope the American people speak loudly in November and vote some of these assholes out. Most of them, if they're not doing anything. Now, here's my other question is, if let's say you're President Yang right now. There is, this is a negotiation, right? So there is compromise. There is tactics that both parties play. If you're president, like what level of that do you tolerate? You know, like there's certain, like, do you compromise and be like, okay, I'll take 500 bucks because that's better than nothing? Or are you driving this in, in down? In this your case, throat? if you're think? the president and it's in your party's in control of the Senate, I, I would go in and say, look, we're, you have to get this deal done before current benefits expire because it's going to be extraordinarily disruptive to folks not knowing what the heck's going to happen next week uh, or the uh, next month's rent or any of that. Uh, and so that's on Trump and the Republicans. You could put a lot of this on them because the Democrats laid out a clear bill in May 
And then if you're the Republicans and you disagree with it, then you got to get to the table sometime between May and now and freaking get to work. Right. Uh, so uh, I think that in this case, it's it's on the Republicans that we're at this point. Uh, and if I were president, I would say, look, like we got to do our fucking jobs because if you look around, like America is falling apart. And if, if they can't count on us to shelve the bullshit during this time, we're all going to suffer for it. And that's what's happening is that like, uh, you know, we're all disgusted and, and want uh, to have a different type of leader. You, you know, you're seeing it with some of like the electoral results around the country, too. And yeah. you can say whether, you know, whether like a random Democrat um, is to blame for um, the, the dysfunction uh, that's emanating, uh, you know, from in this case, the Senate. Uh, but people are fed up. You know, and, yeah. and like that, that that's um, like our, our system of government is just failing us. And, and it really does break my heart that what has historically been a source of strength for us, like being a democracy, a representative democracy and republic, um, now it has become so polarized and locked up and dysfunctional that they can't even do the obvious in a time of crisis. We have no national response to the largest global crisis since World War Two. Right. Like since like what? <laughs> we have no response. We have nothing. Yeah, we're, we're this crazy dysfunctional basket case and the rest of the world is looking up being like, like my my parents, um, my, my mom left the States uh, to go to ba- back to Taiwan. And in Taiwan, there are like essentially zero cases and life is perfectly normal. Like she like fled the US to go someplace. And there are folks I know like from uh, who are in all other parts of the world, like in, in Europe and elsewhere it's the same deal like they're all like okay that sucked for a little while but now things are back to normal and the u.s is yeah. just gonna rage you can see it very clearly i talked to andy slavitt this yeah. uh, past week and he's right where he's like look we know what it would take it would take a total shutdown like no interstate travel everyone just stays the fuck home we send everyone money and we lock this thing down for eight weeks we act like it, we acted back in march but we do it and he said if that was like a 70 percent lockdown you go to 90 percent nationwide and mm-hmm. you do that for eight weeks you put us in a coma you cash everyone out and then you could come back and school could resume sports could resume like whatever you like religious services could resume because you would have gotten it down and this is what other countries did but we had this sort of weird half-ass staggered lockdown that uh and you know folks were non-compliant like that that there is this that, you know when you talk about andy's uh suggestion which i believe is right uh you look up and you say you know i just do do not think that our government or our people um like ha- even have the capacity to go into a 90 percent lockdown for eight weeks you know it's like we exhausted whatever capacity there was back <sighs> yeah. in march and then if you look at it now, it's just going to just continue ripping through various states and, and communities uh, until there's a vaccine. And even when there's a vaccine, you know, this vaccine's not going to have like a 90 percent efficacy. You know, I mean, like, yeah. like like it might have like a 40, 50, 60 percent efficacy. Um, and so, you know, in my mind's eye and it's not going to have 100 percent compliance, like not like everyone's going to go out and get a vaccine. So if you imagine it having something like let's call it a 60 percent efficacy and then 70 percent get it you're looking at like 42 percent immunity which may or may not even be um enough to get you to, to herd immunity uh i mean if you're vaccinated and it works then you'd be in better shape so so this, this is the world of the united states of america circa 2020 where um we we failed to take our medicine we failed to take affirmative steps 
and then now we're just going to be suffering through this rolling wave of sickness and dysfunction and death and shutdowns uh, and kids uh, not going to school and parents wondering what the hell to do with their child care and tens of millions out of work uh, and Congress is going to dither. I mean, that this is the yep. reality of where we are. November cannot come soon enough, brother. Cannot come soon enough. Um, yeah, and, and so some of the, the Humanity Forward candidates are freaking winning. Like, uh, yeah. I'm super excited about Donna Imam, who won her primary um, in Austin, Texas, and she's yep. running against this 78-year-old incumbent who's all wrong. Um, in Maryland, Strickland won her primary in Tacoma, Olympia, and she's going to be tremendous. Um, she's in the general now. So there, there is a new wave of legislator coming up. Um, we just need a whole lot more of them in a whole lot more places, uh, and then we can start doing things differently and better. Yeah, it is amazing to kind of wield this influence we had from the, the campaign into real-life candidates getting elected in their primaries. I love it. It's amazing. It's my hope right now, right. frankly. Yeah, it's 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 great because things are terrible, but I, I only feel better when I do something. And so right. if you're pissed off too, you want to do something, get behind a Humanity Forward candidate like Donna or Marilyn because we can help them win. It's yeah. been invigorating for me helping people like Jermaine Johnson win on the state level. And now if we can make that happen in Congress, then we become a very, very potent political force that everyone will pay attention to so yeah. check out the humanity forward candidates at movehumanityforward.com find one take them under your wing adopt them make a donation uh and you'll feel better in no time and then you will get excited about some of these folks who are trying to do right by people alex morris and robbie goldstein like the list just goes on and on it's awesome yeah it's my that is my hope right now um which gets me excited um real quick i'm, I'm liking this tweet of the week thing because you tweet stuff and it's obviously whatever 140 characters so there's not always context and i find them fascinating and there was one you tweeted you retweeted an article from the hill that talked about an msnbc producer our favorite network who uh who quit she had been there for seven years her name is ariana Picari, i think you say her last name um we never interacted with her much but she left and saying and this is like i'm paraphrasing but quoting her um she said our, our current model of cable news with the ratings driver, ratings driven cable news is a cancer that stokes division, blocks diversity of thought and amplifies fringe voices for the sake of ratings. So one, I'll say on behalf of the Yank Speaks, well done, Ariana, uh, because we agree. But thoughts on, and like quick, I feel like we do a whole episode on this, but thoughts on, We've had some beef with MSNBC. Like thoughts on what you've seen there, and also generally in this business after running. It's fascinating, man. I, I retweeted that article and I said, "Look, it is not an MSNBC thing. It's yeah. a broadcast journalism and media thing where you just get addicted to ratings and advertising, and then you just do what works for your audience. You're not trying to cater to 100% of the public." And Ariana, one of the most damning critiques she had was when a producer said, "Like, look, we're not really news. We're like comfort." Uh, for our audience, uh, and so you don't yes. really need to want to hear want to hear what they want to what they believe. <laughs> yeah, so you just gotta give the people what they want, uh, and yeah. um, and then if you have that on both sides, and you wind up tearing the country apart, uh, and that's where we are. It's it's a an emblem of the thing that I ran on uh, in action, where you have the market just driving everything in American life, and you have the the almighty dollar sucking 
news coverage in particular directions and then you have people on the other side and the people are losing and being like what the hell happened to the news like what's going on and then you have folks and ariana points it out she said look like we just always talk about whatever trump said uh, and we did that in 2016. We're doing it now because it gins up a reaction, it gets it rate, ratings, it rates and, well. and, and yeah, and, and that, that's how we wound up at this mess, and we're still doing it. Uh, and <laughs> what? <sighs> and so you, you have to look at it and say, okay, I get it. You're addicted to uh, dollars and ratings and advertising. And Zach, so I retweeted that article, and I was mm-hmm. like, this seems pretty obvious to me. And you know, it got maybe whatever, got like eight, nine thousand likes. Um, and then a couple of media types like took issue with it. Um, yeah. And, and and then and I just got like so like someone was like, oh, the New York Times is successfully transitioning to a subscription model. And I was like, congratulations. It's like the, the one biggest newspaper. Like, to, <laughs> what, like what? Like talk about the thousand local papers that went out of business and all the journalists who used to work there. Um, yep. Or, or uh, someone else said like, oh, but like the, you know, podcast and long form stuff's doing really well for us. And being like, well, does that undo the ratings pressures you're under or the uh the the death of local journalism or uh like the the fact that coverage gets skewed in particular ways i mean like and and the the folks who were talking about it were generally speaking fairly prominent types and and so like i feel like they've all gotten brain damage um where like they're in a field where the water level has been rising uh and you know, in order to survive, you just have to contort yourself in these positions. And so I sent a tweet that was like really pretty, you know, visceral, which was like, guys, like you're journalists. Like, why don't you freaking call what's going on in your industry? You're all seeing like hundreds of your former friends and colleagues get laid off. Like if a young person comes to you and says they want to be a journalist, you're like, fuck no. no. You know, you're, you're seeing major media outlets get bought by tech titans as essentially trophy properties. Or PR plays, yeah. Like I called it a highbrow indulgence, uh, you know. Like, and and you're looking around, being like, yeah, this is okay, um, you know. And like, and, and then when someone points out to you, one of your own, uh, Ariana says, "Look, we're getting subverted by the market," which the American public can clearly see is happening. Like, uh, instead, some people like go, you know, react like she's like a heretic. Yeah. It's like, what the hell's the matter with you people? You know, like you're you're part of a shrinking industry that's getting smashed into this almost unrecognizable form um and it's subverting our democracy it's making us all nuts it's making us all despair and your job is to document what's happening um and you can't document what's happening in your own fucking industry in your own backyard and like and you're all like conditioned to be like hey you're like where we're all like paragons of uh, objectivity. We could never be influenced by the market, even as like you're you're seeing like your behavior completely get subverted. Like yep. thank goodness for someone like Ariana who just called it in an honest way and said, "Hey, look, I see these decisions all the time, and it's not that the people are bad." And this is like my big message: is like the people in a corrupt, um, distorting system will end up adhering to that system's incentives, and you don't like just throw rocks at the people, you say, we need to rewire the software of that system. So if journalists feel this incredible pressure to maintain relevance and ratings and advertising dollars by inflaming their audience, you have to make it so that media organizations are not rewarded for inflaming their audience. Maybe they get rewarded for a little bit more substantive, dry, objective, boring, 
uh, you know, co- coverage that Medicine. delves into, yeah, that that delves into uh, some. And, and this is something I really think, like, I'm, I'm I want to dig into this more, and we'll probably have Ariana on and, and some other folks to talk about this because, I, like, because we're here to solve problems. We're here to like fix the problems of America. Um, and you need democracy to make that happen. And in order to have a functioning democracy, you need some form of media. Um, and if you have, for example, local newspapers go out of business, then you know what suffers? Democracy. Because Us, how can you vote yeah. on what's going on in your community if there's literally no one covering what's going on in your community? Mm-hmm. And then if you want to try and solve things at the national level um, and you have uh, this set of problems, then it becomes much, much harder. So we have to try and fix what's going on with the news media if we're going to have a chance to fix some of the bigger problems. Uh, and. I want to dig into this because I, th- I think it's it's important. And you and I lived it, too. That, that's the yes. other thing is like we got to experience our own strange uh, gauntlet. <laughs> of, yeah. And, and, and we came out of it, you know, it's like 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 obviously, I, you know, um, thanks to the Yang Gang. Thank you. Like we, we came through it and our message still reached people, uh, you know, which yeah. would not and have been true. And the test of time, which is good, too. Right. Like we're still it's still relatively relevant. Or very relevant, depending on you look at it right now. But we, but there, there needs to be a different set of incentives in place if we're going to have journalism and democracy survive uh, in this country. And that's something that I'm very committed to. It's not that dissimilar from some of the other issues we try and tackle. Uh, and some of the journalists actually came out in response to, to my uh, argument and say, you're right, we need essentially like a universal basic income for news. Like you just need some form yep. of public funding so that news organizations can one survive, and two um, have a set of incentives that are aligned with the people instead of aligned with whatever uh, pays the bills at that moment in time. In a time when it's going to be harder and harder for you to pay your bills right. because guess what? No one wants to pay for your subscriptions anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the advertising dollars just keep getting squeezed and squeezed. Um, uh, certainly online because like the the digital rates uh just will never match what you used to get well here's what's here's what's really scary about that is the guy that the guy that started this that came at you on twitter is objectively one of the good ones that's it so his name is sam stein i love sam stein he's a senior writer of the daily beast he's one of the first major outlets to cover us making the debate he wrote the qual like we're about to qualify for the debate stage one of the first pieces that came out on us he helped us blow up when we gave away money on the debate stage. Like he is a friend and a very good journalist. And that is that is the point though. Like a guy when a guy like Sam is saying, Hey, this isn't that big of a problem. We're evolving. To me, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. He's brainwashed. He doesn't see and like one like your success story proves the rule to me. Like, oh, what like the New York Times can handle like having some podcasts? Like, sick, bro. Like, look at the rest of the country. And and just like we go on and on we should go on and on a different episode but that to me is a scary part when the good ones are not seeing what's happening then what then we're all screwed so this needs to be solved and i think it's a government place to to somewhat get their hands involved yeah there are a lot of the biggest problems in american life today like we've all been so conditioned that government cannot solve our problems um which Mm -hmm. you know we started this episode sort of talking about um, and, yeah. But the but the impossible position we're in is that a lot of these problems require government to uh, be involved. And in in my ideal world, the government helps set up the incentives and resources. It doesn't make all the decisions, but it like sets the stage so that the incentives yeah. are better and the structures are better. The framework, if you will. Um, 
let's turn to some happier news, man, because the interview you have with Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, segues into this a lot. It talks about our our system, the incentives of data companies. You talk about data, you talk about art. And here's what, so I was a huge, huge Angels in the Outfield fan. So I'm listening to this conversation, man. I was fanboying like so hard. I freaking love that movie. I could quote every freaking line. Um, but Joseph was, um, what I was surprised about is that he went to, I didn't know, he went to Columbia in like between becoming a child actor, went to Columbia and then became an adult actor. Um, and basically got famous again, if you will. Um, and he's really, really smart and thoughtful. Um, I don't, no offense to actors in that stereotype, but I wasn't expecting that level of intellectual depth. Uh, maybe I'm a jerk for saying that, but I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Joe and I connected um, late, late in the campaign, and he's a really smart, thoughtful, creative uh, human being. It's really yeah. awesome. Like, he has not been misshapen, and we actually talk a little bit about the fact that it's like, man, being a child actor seems to fuck a lot of people up. Like, how, like, <laughs> like how'd you avoid, yeah. how'd you avoid that one? Um, but uh, he's a deep thinker. He also got excited about the data dividend project when I first uh, uh, brought it to him. Um, and he runs this massive creative community, uh, mm-hmm. hit record uh, that you know I admire a great deal. So thrilled with this conversation. Uh, hope you enjoy it too. Joseph Gordon-Levitt on Yang Speaks. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It is my pleasure to welcome to Yank Speaks, the one, the only, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, J.P.L. Welcome, the once and future Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. That's great. Look at the drum set in the background, too. Like, and I know that's that's not just for show. You probably bang it out on that. (laughs) This is a good way to exercise your demons. Just hit something as hard as you can. You're not hurting anybody. Just maybe your own ears. You gotta wear ear protection. And yeah, drums have been my uh, my catharsis of choice for many years now. Well, whatever keeps you healthy and balanced, man, because that is yeah. definitely very up there on like the uh, positive ways to do so. <laughs> like, yeah. they're, they're probably yeah. like literally like a billion 
more destructive uh, way, ways to go. Um, so you, you're like this incredibly prolific creative. Um, your community hit record is so cool. Oh, look, I've got a, a prolific creative too. Just climbing. <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> look at that. This is another daddy. Let's see. We got this. Hey, how's it right. going, man? <laughs> All right, run on off, Damer. All right. <laughs> that doesn't actually happen to me. I think it's a Yang Speaks first. Nice. Um, I'm honored. I'm honored. Oh, so I feel like you and I have a lot in common where we're both uh, in quarantine. You're in L.A., so, you know, unfortunately, it's been uh, quite shut down there. And you're a dad like me. You've got two young kids, right? Yes. Yep. My two boys. Yeah, me too. Two boys. You just saw the the younger uh, come in. Um, you have this massive creative community. You're, you're like the sort of leader and steward of, which I think is like the coolest thing ever. Uh, and then you have all of this work yourself coming out, um, which I'd love to hear you talk about. So you and I were talking about how you have a labor of love that you were filming right um, as the pandemic hit. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a show. Uh it's going to come out next year on Apple that I'm writing and directing and acting in and uh, been putting it together for years and we were finally shooting it. And yeah, just three weeks into production is when lockdown arrived and uh, we had to stop and we're going to start up again <clears throat> soon, but yeah, it was really frustrating. And it took me, it took me a second to realize though um, that as frustrated as I was to have to stop shooting this show that I cared so much about, um, a lot of people were going through things way, way worse. And, um, and from, from that point on, I, I just was like, oh, yeah, I'm really grateful to be able to stay home. A lot of people can't stay home. Like a good friend of mine I was just talking to, you know, he works at UPS. UPS can't stop, you know, and, uh, you know, of Essential. course, there's all the, yeah, all the medical workers, all the people in the food industry. I mean, just so many people that, you know, can't stay home like I can and and then they're keeping the world spinning around and I'm incredibly grateful to all of them and but but and just trying to stay grateful for what I have even though like I'm sick of quarantine and I want to go out and do other things I I try to just remember like man it's pretty good it's really quite good right now for to you know my situation I'm I'm lucky I, I can relate 100% on both fronts because you're uh, cooped up, you're frustrated, but you know how fortunate you are, particularly if you have yeah. young kids running around. And at least my kids really, frankly, like are enjoying having mommy and daddy like, underfoot all the time yeah. because I'm sure yeah. when you were shooting your show, you were uh, probably busier and, and uh, out more. Would love to hear more about the show because, you again, you've been behind so many projects over the years. And I feel like for you to put your stamp on it where it sounds like you're uh, directing, writing, and acting in this project, then it must be something you're really excited about. It is, yeah. This is it's sort of my uh, my chance to do a lot of the things creatively that I've always wanted to do, and um, I, yeah, I it's 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 kind of one of those dream come true projects. Where I'm like, oh wow, I'm really getting to do all this, and um, I haven't done a series in a long time. I acted in a series when I was a teenager called Third Rock. Oh, we remember, sun. man. Uh, we yeah, remember yeah. Third Rock from the sun. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> like, like beamed into our living rooms. At least. Yeah. Like, that's what happened with, with me, at least. So are you allowed to talk about this series? 
I, yeah, I haven't talked about it much because it's not coming out till next year. Um, there's other things, you know, coming out sooner. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I could, I could talk about it. It's, um, it's sort of a, it's a half hour drama, comedy, comedy, drama. I always sort of like blurring the lines between the two because the stuff that's funniest to me is the real human stuff more than just like jokes or gags. Um, and uh, it's, it's not about me exactly, but it's not not about me. It's sort of about, uh, you know, the character's name is Josh Corman, not Joseph Gordon. Um, and uh, and it, it came from me thinking about kind of what we were just talking about, feeling really grateful for the life I have and wondering like, you know, it didn't necessarily have to go this way. Uh, I, I could have just as easily ended up not successful in show business. I don't, I don't think that like, you know, I worked hard and I think I'm good at what I do, but there's lots of people that work hard and that are good with what they do that don't, don't, you know, succeed at show business the way that I've been lucky enough to. Um, I, I feel like I'm lucky to have met a woman I love so much and gotten to start a family. You know, I, I a, a lot of people I know that are wonderful people just haven't found their person yet. And that, that could have just as easily happened to me. And so it just got me thinking about, wow, I'm, I'm so grateful for some of these huge things in my life. And, and what if my life were a little different? And, and I started coming up with this character who's a lot like me, grew up in the San Fernando Valley, a suburb of Los Angeles, just like me, went to Van Nuys High, just like me, um, is sort of artistically inclined, just like me. But uh, his career didn't work out. And now he works as a public school teacher. And he's good at it and loves it. And, and being a teacher is something I've always sort of been really interested in, thought I'd be good at and thought it was something I'd, I'd like to try. But I, I just haven't because I've been focused on my lucky career in show business. And um, and he's trying to find love and, you know, just not working for him, which is I've spent many years of my life before I found my wife feeling that way. And he's just doing his best to, you know, be a good person and, and be happy, but it's hard. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's really what the show is about. No, that, that's so fun. So you've been working on this for a while and then you found a partner in Apple. I feel like Apple's like the big new funder <laughs> these yeah, things like they yeah. showed up and they're just like all right let's buy our way into this stuff um and yeah so silicon valley is basically taking over hollywood they've almost already taken it over entirely and with you know if it's not already all done it's 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 almost there the only real holdout is disney they're like they're the only company left that's a hollywood company that's not been bought up by by a bigger tech company really. well this is something i'd love to talk to you about um uh, because you and i connected earlier on our concern about how our data is getting used uh and mm -hmm. one thing that i'm um seeing that you, pretty much what you just expressed is that content is essentially getting commoditized uh where you have these tech companies that have much much greater higher levels of resources than like any of the studios and so that they control these pipes they have these connections to us and our devices and and then they're just trying to now absorb content and like funnel it through their platforms and and devices and so like a lot of the traditional creativity i feel like um is coming under the tech umbrella and you feel a little bit like these tech companies 
you know, Netflix being the most, and I, you know, I, I enjoy Netflix. Um, but certainly there's like the sense that Netflix is like, ha is scratching its chin being like, hmm, like, like what, what, what would you enjoy? What do you desire <laughs> that mm. <laughs> they have like this near limitless budget? And you actually have a movie coming out on Netflix, I think, um, you know, just a yeah. couple weeks from now, which, which, couple weeks. which I confess to being somewhat excited about. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, so, great. it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about that too. I, I, and I really like I really like Netflix actually. And, and I really like Apple too. Um, and to me, one of the important things to, to distinguish between Netflix and Apple and then some of the other giants in the field that you're talking about that are building the pipes, like you say, is um, both Netflix and Apple have a direct relationship with the consumer, meaning yep. like the people watching their content are their customers. We have elected right. Netflix, it's true. Like we've given them our credit card, we've been like, all right, lay it on me, yeah. Totally. But 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 not. that's not the case everywhere. And yeah. um, like I know you're a fan of Jaron Lanier and, and his thinking has informed mine a lot in, in this regard. But you know, a lot of the pipes that you're talking about, it's not the people using the pipes that are actually paying for the pipes, <laughs> meaning, uh, it, and it's it's largely Google and Facebook and and look this isn't to be you know be shitty towards Google and Facebook and there's lots of amazing things that happen on Facebook or Instagram or Google or YouTube like lots of beautiful art lots of wonderful people that work at those places but I do think that the the model where um, the users aren't paying money the users get these services for free in exchange to be spied on on mass and and be kind of manipulated through these incredibly powerful machine learning algorithms that are feeding into all this big data and using behaviorist techniques to you know quote unquote advertise people um if that's the business model that that really does make me worried and uh i you know there's like jaron talks a lot about how that's impact how that could impact economies how that could impact democracies yeah. and i I'm, I'm less an expert on those things you you've spoken really eloquently about that as well and it's one of the things i've been such a fan of yours for but um where i where i feel like i have some expertise is like i think that model that kind of attention economy model is really bad for the creative spirit yeah, I, I think that, it that's sucks where, where the creativity out of your heart. And I and I agree with you too that Netflix and Apple are sort of different animals than Facebook and Google in this regard, or YouTube. Uh, you know, if you if you look at it, um, because Netflix and Apple, we essentially pay subscription fees, and then in Apple, mm -hmm. in, in Netflix's case, it's like, look, I've got millions of subscribers, I've got all this money, like I just need to keep a content pipeline going that keeps all of them happy and gets more people that want to pay me. Uh, and and then YouTube is like the opposite model, essentially, where it's like, hey, no one pays anything, but you're going to pay through the fact we're going to try and monetize your attention everywhere you go. And, uh, you know, we're going to try and bombard you with ads. And if you're a creator to that point, you get paid like, you know, like like a scintilla of a penny <laughs> like yeah. for, 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 every, yeah. for every view. Um, and one thing I really appreciate about you is that, so you're like up here in the entertainment ecosystem, you know, you can like, well, that's very kind of you. No, I mean, just, just to this fact, it's like, you have a series you're shooting for Apple. You have this movie coming out on Netflix. It's like the two giant content walled gardens, um, that are developing, but you're also the steward of this creative community because you just want more people to be able to create. Um, so you have this thriving, a group of 
creators on uh, hit record um and then you know they're not like you know signing like you know like uh apple or netflix deals they're putting this stuff on youtube um, mm-hmm. And so you see how the system's not working for the up and comers who are just trying to make art and put their work out there that like this uh, ecosystem is really uh, exploiting them in many ways. Like it's, you know, just like trying to extract value. Um, and then they're, they're hoping that they can sort of make it through this narrowing gate, like the, like the up and coming creatives. And I just had this social media discussion um, around musicians, which is like another thing where it, it like uh, if you look at something like music to me, I mean, the music industry I, I was, I've always known has also like massive problems. But it was clear to me that if you were a successful musician or even like an up and coming musician, um, touring was where you were going to make your money. Like certainly mm-hmm. if you were like someone who could sell out a venue. Um, but even if you were, you know, a lower level musician, you could like tour and like make your bones. And so I, I just tweeted, I was like, I have no idea how any musician makes money right now. Cause like, you know, it seems like most touring is off the table. Um, and then this whole cavalcade of musicians then came into the stream being like, yeah, like none of us make anything <laughs> because like the streaming royalties are, are, are pennies. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Um, so would, would love to hear about your experience with hit record because I just think it was so generous of you and it's not like something that you've worked on only for a little period of time like you've worked on it for I think at this point it's like a decade and a half old is that right yeah kind of yeah I mean really a decade old since it's been like a, a, a professional operation of sorts and but like five years of just hobby time before that and in those earliest earliest days it, it started before it was a company or a website or a, anything. Uh, it was just this kind of turn of phrase, I would say to myself, hit record because um, I needed creative inspiration. And because uh, I'd been an actor ever since I was a kid and I went to college, I quit acting for a while 
to go to school. And then when I wanted to get back into acting, I couldn't get a part. Uh, no one would cast me in anything. And it was super painful to want to express myself and not be given permission to do that. And, and so hit record was just this little metaphor I came up with. Like, I'm going to be the one to hit the record button. And it's sort of a play on the, you know, the older phrase of a hit record and, and sort of trying to, in my, in, my, in my way, say something about how media is changing from a, a commercial object like a hit record into a, a creative action. Sorry, a commercial object like a hit record <laughs> into a creative action. <laughs> we got action, you, like, we got like, you. <laughs> like hitting record. And um, uh, that was my like bit of wordplay. But again, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything other than just my own sort of thing I'd say to myself when I wanted to be creative. And, and I learned how to, uh, I learned how to edit videos and I started making little short films and songs and stories and stuff. And then my brother helped me set up this little website to share some of what I was doing. And it was just, yeah, it was like 2005. So this was a little bit before it was so common to just post on a, on YouTube or a blog or whatever. And we, we started our own website and we called it hitrecord.org. And slowly but surely this, this community started to form on the website. We had this little like prefab message board on there, like a PHP message board. And what we found from the people that were coming to this little message board was some of them wanted to just come and check out the little things I was making. But what a lot of people wanted to do was collaborate, not just look, but make things together with me and with each other. And, and my brother and I at that time thought that's unique to this moment in history, that people all over the world could not only be watching the same thing, but could come together and make something together that they might not have been able to make on their own. Um, and, and, you know, oftentimes new technology is used to imitate old technology. And, yeah. you know, using the internet to watch a video in many ways is imitating television. Using the internet to read a blog is in many ways imitating a magazine or newspaper or whatever. Just like when movies first came out, they mostly imitated theater. And when the printing press first came out, they mostly imitated handwritten books. But the internet could be something more than just a place to watch and, and consume. And collaboration felt like, oh, that's what, that's, the, that's what this is really for. And so we leaned into that, but at first in a completely informal way. It was just something my brother and I were doing as a hobby. He, he's a coder and uh, he started writing little bits of code on top of this message board to try to help this small community collaborate on little creative art projects and it grew and it grew and, and eventually my friend Jared and I started a production company to say like hey this is happening in this community we could do bigger more ambitious things where where what we all make together can be a book that we publish or it could be a tv show that gets on tv or a record we put out and and we could figure out ways that if any of these productions make money then the artists all share in that money and um and that's what we did and we, we that's what we've been doing for years and and now we're really focused on trying to to really make the tech a lot better so that it's not always me and and the folks in my office leading those projects but that anybody can come and, and start their own project and find their collaborators and and have a collaborative creative experience because Ultimately, what I've found is like going back to the origins of it, if, if you're looking to just express yourself, to, to have, that, have that creative experience where like, I want to do something. It's hard to do it alone. Yeah. I find it's, it's totally. I, personally, I find it hard to do alone. And I think a lot of people find it hard to do alone. 
Whereas if you can jump in on a project with other people, then you've got other people that are saying like, okay, I'll do this and you do that. And you're holding each other accountable. You're giving each other encouragement and feedback. And, and you, you, it's not just, it's, it's also less like daunting to be like, Hey world, Hey internet, here's me and my thing. Come like me. You know, it's more like it, we're, we're, we made something together. It's, it's just like, it helps. I think people come out of their shell and it's, um, it's more complicated than like posting something on your own that you can do on, you know, YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or whatever. But, um, and so it's, it's, it's taken us a long time and it's still a process figuring out how to make that all work, how to help people collaborate with each other. Um, but it's, it's just continued to grow and grow and more people are doing it now than ever. And um, it, it continues to be something I find deeply fulfilling. And, and so yeah, I, I, I think it's I, awesome. You know, you know the, the Yang Gang has like a creative strain as well. Certainly we have nothing like, you know, what you <laughs> built, but, but there's like a, you know, a group of like artists and uh, designers. And um, one of the things that I think is was true in my campaign is that there's just not enough art in the world, in part because of what you and I are des describing, where like the market doesn't support enough art. Uh, yeah. This is something I've always wanted to ask you about, and I've been excited to ask you about it since I've gotten to know you a bit, and now's maybe a good time. Because um, I, I heard you on a podcast a while back when, when you were first um, campaigning for president, and, and you were talking about universal basic income, but then you were also saying, like, and you, you could, don't even put words in your mouth, you could express this better than I could, but you were talking about, like, having other programs and structures to support kind of productivity and like community driven collaborative efforts, whether it's in art or in other fields that were not necessarily driven by a commercial market, but, um, but were driven by other modes of, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm so interested in, in how that works because I don't know that commerce is the only way to drive art. Yeah, thank you for calling that out. Uh, so, the, to me, pillar number one is like put money into people's hands. Would folks have more freedom to create? Yes. Would they have more ability to reward artists and creators? Yes. If you had better structures in place. Uh, but there's like this whole set of activities that uh, has been eroding for years and decades in the United States of America that we, I think most of us agree are like pretty positive stuff that the market just is not going to love. And one thing that, like, you know, I, I use as an example when I travel is like local papers, local newspapers. Uh, local newspapers are getting wiped out, like, uh, you know, a thousand local papers gone. And democracy does not function as well if you don't have local papers. Uh, so let's, let's say even if we had more money in a community, sure, some more local papers would survive, but maybe you decide that local journalism is good, regardless of whether or not like the advertising makes money or, you know, like the, the subscriptions. And so if you start looking at some things that maybe we can agree are positive, which I would definitely put art in this category, I'd put local journalism in this category, I'd put volunteering for a civic organization um, in this category. And so volunteerism is down, uh, like pretty much anything where like that there's something that you regard as positive in the community um, has been declining by the numbers for years. And mm. so there's like this whole suite of activities where I don't think any of us necessarily wants to get quote unquote paid for everything. It's like, hey, if I, 
you know, volunteer for the nonprofit, like nonprofit pay me. <laughs> it's right. like, like right. There, there has to be like some sort of activity you do that's like non-monetary, but also um, something that we, we want to reward or reinforce. And so my idea was essentially you create like a parallel economy around this other set of activities that could, that we could use another currency for or time. Um, and it was based mm -hmm. on something called time banking where, um, in the sixties, RFK's speechwriter was trying to figure out how to help, um, poor communities become more socially connected. And what they came up with was something called time banking, where if I, uh, babysit your kids, then you get me back by hauling like logs off my lawn. And we essentially just trade like units of time with each other. Um, mm -hmm. and so you could introduce like a different currency or time units into this other set of activities that we know we need more of, but you don't want to pay people for because it's like a little messed up. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and I would certainly put art in this category where if someone produces public art, uh, then they would get, uh, you know, this other currency reward or other people get them back in various ways. It'd be a way to try and stitch together uh, social interactions uh, and 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 also you could disclose it publicly in a way that you don't money. So if, if I'm like, hey, I made a thousand bucks, like I, I'm a, an asshole if I'm like waving around like my thousand dollars like above my head. Right. But it, it, but if I got these like you know a um, uh, thousand um, social points or whatever you call them. Um, then you could actually broadcast it in a way that everyone finds perfectly socially acceptable. Right. Um, and then you could even give those social points to someone else. Um, and, uh, and then they could use it for various things. So that was like yeah, the, the thinking around like, uh, that like you, you need something non-monetary for certain activities that you want to help see more of. Can I ask you more about how that will work? I know you haven't like fleshed it out entirely. So this is maybe just a, a totally hypothetical situation, but I just find that so fascinating. I want to ask you more about like, so in, in the case of an artist say, cause that's obviously what's close to my heart and experience. So someone who, who makes some art, say they make a, a song, they record a song and it's, it's not necessarily like the kind of commercially viable song that uh, a record label is going to invest in or something, but they they have the potential to earn this sort of whether it's like time time banking or social points or, or whatever you call it how there there would have to be what some kind of system in place that would determine whether how many social points that song is worth or like how well, would that kind of so that my, my thinking on this and this is actually very close to the conversation i was having with the musicians online um, would be that if i listen to the song just by virtue of my listening to the song you get like a social credit uh, uh, for the fact that I listened to it. It's like essentially a micropayment thing. Um, Got it. Okay. So everybody who listens to it, then that, right. Okay. So it, it does have to do with, um, the audience that you garner for the art that you create. Yeah. Right. But so, cause right now the way that you can make money, uh, or get any kind of compensation for that sort of thing is say you put your song on YouTube or your video on YouTube or whatever, and YouTube is able to, if, if a million or more people come and watch your video, then YouTube <laughs> might make enough money on ads that they'll give you like a few bucks. 
Um, well, this is this is the distinction you drew initially, um, Joseph, because I've been struggling with how the heck we got we would get this done on a you know societal level. Mm-hmm. You essentially want the world to look more like Netflix than YouTube. Right, <laughs> right, right, it, right. It's like where we're paying, but in this case, you don't necessarily want. And and I think like tier one, which would be better, is if we all had money and we we're all paying for stuff. Um, but then tier two would be like, hey, I'm paying with my attention, and you can take like this attention currency and use that for various things too. Um, some of which it could be monetary, um, mm-hmm. a, a, because you want to try and get the like. Because right right now people are conditioned to consume art and content for free or near free, um, and then you yes. pay a, you, then you pay a subscription, and then you're like, okay, now I'm in the walled garden, and I get like the cool like uh, movie or TV show from like the the Joseph Gordon-Levitt of the world. And so what you want to do is you want to create like like closer to that walled garden dynamic um, out there, like uh, where where if you pay attention to something, then the creator is getting rewarded, um, and, and it doesn't nece- necessitate my whipping out my credit card. Right, right. Because someone has spent their time on your art. So if it were time banking, it would be that that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. And right, so like right. the, the time actually has value. Um, right. and, then if, and then if people have elected to spend their time on your art, then you actually like build up this time currency that, you you know, you could trade for dollars. Like, you know, there could be like an exchange rate, right. essentially. <laughs> right. So, and in order for that to happen, it would just, it would have to be kind of top down, right? Like the government would have to say, okay, there is, the government is, just like the government does with dollars, like dollars is a top down thing. The government says, we, the United States government are deciding that US dollars are valuable, right? And and so you're saying that like the the government would have to say, we're also saying now that time is valuable and here is a like government built structure like institution for how we can exchange time currency so here's where it gets interesting that time banking is in effect right now in hundreds of communities around the country like that they're just doing it informally they have some ledger they'll keep 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 track of it um and there are also some apps, uh, like there's one called Seva Exchange, they have Karma Points. There are different things where they're starting to try and monitor this. So if you were a foundation or a philanthropy or a billionaire or whatnot, and I know some of these characters, so this isn't entirely hypothetically, uh-huh. <laughs> like, could you go in and say, hey guys, guess what? Like, we're, we're going to essentially guarantee your time currency at like a certain exchange um, and, uh, so if you do something for someone, you develop a, you know, you get, get a credit or you produce public art and people want to reward it. Um, and then if you want, like, we've got like essentially like an exchange bank and I'm going to monetize it to the tune of a million bucks, 10 million bucks, whatever it is. Uh, and, and the, the fun thing about this is that you could potentially create like, like a hundred million worth of, uh, interactions or social activity with like a much smaller level of money. Um, but you would need to essentially do it within a community the same way that communities are doing it with time banking right now. I agree with you on a macro level, you'd probably need the government uh, lending a hand. Like if you mm-hmm. wanted to do it like throughout the entire US economy and you were dealing with like massive um, numbers, but you could pilot this in a community, um, certainly in terms of in-person activities, and it's happening now. Uh, and then the trickier thing, which is something that I, I genuinely think that we need to be investing a ton of energy and resources on is how to make it happen in the digital universe is how to make it so that like uh, your time is actually 
uh, monetizable in a different way than advertising. Because we have to face facts that right now so much of our internet uh, enjoyment or whatever is based on advertising. And there was a period when it seemed like, okay, this is cool. Like I've got, uh, you know, free Facebook, free YouTube, free this. Um, but now it's degenerated into this form of pernicious surveillance capitalism <laughs> where, 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 yeah, totally where, they're, where they're like, and, and among other problems, it's absolute shit for creators. Yes. Yeah. I think it really is. Uh, and, uh, and it, it's not just, um, it's not just the ads it's what comes with the ads like you mentioned the difference between like a netflix and a youtube and again i'm saying again there's lots of great stuff on youtube i yeah. love youtube i i look at youtube all the time and i find amazing things that i never would have been able to find anywhere else like youtube's incredible but there there is a difference between um what youtube will recommend versus what Netflix will recommend because there's a difference between how they're monetizing the viewers that uh, Netflix is trying to serve viewers something that's so good and meaningful to them that they're willing to pay out of their pocket for it. Whereas YouTube is trying to serve up things that are just going to like catch your attention and keep your attention. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, so profound or meaningful that you would pay money for it. That doesn't, it doesn't have to be that. It just has to kind of catch you enough to keep your attention. And those are two different offerings that are, that are a result of those two different models. And it, I, I think like as an artist, I, I'm much more interested in making art, not that's just going to catch someone's attention and kind of like hook them and keep their attention. I'm interested in making stuff that's, going to be really meaningful to somebody that they're going to yeah. think about afterwards. It's going to like, they're going to remember and you feel create something. different uh, work based upon one goal and the other. Uh, yes. The other thing is that if you do succeed in catching someone's attention, even for like X minutes, and then afterwards you're like, okay, like what did I uh, get? Like as the creator, I mean, right now, you know, in many cases it's uh, next to nothing or nothing. Um, and, and then that doesn't create like an ecosystem that enables that artist to like do something else, reinvest, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like pay themselves, have healthcare, mm -hmm. like, like, you know, mm -hmm. what, 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 whatever, like the, um, you know, like whatever the basics that, that we'd expect anyone who's working, um, you know, creatively to have. Joseph, you said something that I'm interested in, and this this is somewhat personal. So you know, um, so you're you grew up a child actor. Uh, you know, you were on our TV sets, and then it sounds like you went to college at Columbia University in the city for like uh, you know a period of time, um, and then you said you came out, uh, and and then people weren't hiring you, maybe because they thought of you as that child actor, and there was like a right. difficult transition into uh, you know like fully formed uh, like. Um, like masculine actor that you are, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Well, for Hollywood to put a gun in my hand, let's just put it. <laughs> so, so sorry, that's dark. No, no, not no, not at all. No, we understand. Um, so you you strike me as like a healthy, well-adjusted, creative dad, like relationships. I feel like being a child actor breaks, you know, X percentage of folks. Um, <laughs> you know, let, let's call it 
60% or whatever the number is. And like, you know, and, and I'm sure you grew up with people that um, went through a version of this. Um, like I, I became a public figure relatively recently, but I was already like a dad and like fairly, you know, mature. So I actually now have a better understanding as to how it messes people up. Um, and I think you became famous in the time before social media. So good on you. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you didn't have that particular. Um, but, but would love to hear about your transitions that way, like going back to school. How did you find Columbia? Because I, I went to law school there, so I know the environment somewhat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and mm-hmm. my, my wife went there um, undergrad. Um, so, so, you know, it's like uh, so I get some of um, what that school's about. But I'm curious about the transition both into college and then out of college and, and coming back to Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, a big part of quitting for me and wanting to go to school was was getting away from the kind of attention that you get with quote unquote fame fame something i've I've thought about a lot because yeah i've I've been on on tv and in movies and stuff ever since i was young and um there's undeniably something very seductive and attractive about it Uh, it's i think it's pretty deep-seated in our biology and it makes sense if you're out in the wild and you're living in a tribe of animals and everyone in your tribe knows who you are and has some kind of emotional attachment to you, you're probably more likely to survive. So that's attractive. You want that. And, and that's, so I, I think we have just a basic animal attraction to that kind of attention and fame. Um, the, but to verify what you just said, I remember I was reading something where it said that if you have primates in captivity, they'll actually pay food to see pictures of higher status primates. Wow. I have not heard that. That's incredible. I want to see that study. Jeez. Um, so, because there was a time when you look up and you're like, oh, celebrity culture, like, you know, um, like uh, not very uh, natural. But then when you see that study, you're like, holy shit. Apparently, celebrity culture is like the most natural thing in the world. Of course. It's very, very natural. But let's let's be honest. Chimpanzees rape and murder each other all day long in the wild. You know, there's a lot of things that are natural that we. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it do. is hardwired into us. It is. It's hardwired into us, and like the, there's a lot of those things that are hardwired into us. That part of what like being a human is about is figuring out like how much am I going to be swayed by this this primal monkey instinct to, you know, to act on these urges, and that yeah, there is an urge to to want to be famous and i've i've felt it i'm drawn to it i it's something i'd probably struggle with to be honest like on a daily basis how much does this matter to me how much should it sway my decisions you know and uh how much can i be happy without it Uh, it's 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 it sounds funny to say it's hard because it's a real privilege to have to have it but but it'll mess um, people up quick it really you know? does mess people up and i've uh, it it's I, I i'm not above saying like it's probably messed me up to some degree i do my best to have it not mess me up too much i've seen it mess other people up way worse um for a lot of reasons and and it's part of what is actually makes me really concerned about the way that online culture is moving right now which is just and look there's something really wonderful about kind of democratizing fame i think that in a way that's great fame like something like that shouldn't be limited to just hollywood and and, or other like you know super affluent metropolises throughout you know the world it 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 should be like that i i should be more accessible to everybody and and the internet allows for that accessibility but what it also does is it 
it brings those kinds of struggles and that kind of addiction into kind of everyone's life. And uh, especially with, with younger people, I, I, I really, cause I, I, I was going through this when, when I was in junior high, uh, not because of social media, but because I was in angels in the outfield, I dealt with like the kind of self doubt and questions of like, do people really like me for me or do they like me because I was in this movie and how can I know if I'm really worth anything or if, if it's all about these appearances and like, is, is there any me there at all? And if I stop doing these appearances, like mm -hmm. will everyone like, you know, forget about me, turn on me, et cetera. Exactly. And so, and, and that was, that made junior high, like, it was, it made it angst ridden for me. And of course, junior high is angst ridden for everybody for lots of reasons, but I don't know. I, I, I am, I, when I see especially younger people experiencing some of the same kind of addiction to fame and attention that I think like people in Hollywood have experienced for generations now, it worries me. It, it, it makes me feel like we should be worried, you know, yeah. it, like you have, you have teenage kids, like, you know, having like their entire high school class, like following them into their bedroom, like, you know, on their smartphone or whatever. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like that's a very intense experience that, yeah. uh, that previous you, generations you start to had not had. think of yourself differently. If you are a performance and there's no boundary there, then like the most important thing in life, I think, especially as a younger person, but it's something I still very much believe in as a, you know, dad now, you have to have your own like, your own relationship with yourself. You have to have that space where you are you and you know who you are and you are who you are because of your own preferences and your own feelings and your own beliefs. And if that goes away because you're, you're constantly offered opportunities to present a performance version of yourself and get the dopamine hits that you get when people, you know, hit the heart button and, and like you or retweet you or whatever, it, you, it's, it's easy to lose track of that core relationship that you have with yourself. It's, and it's, you gotta spend time alone. You have to spend time just going deep down into yourself and ignoring what anybody says because ultimately yeah, as Kurt Cobain says all we are is all alone or all alone is all we are you ultimately you're the only you are the only one and everybody else no matter how close you get and like I feel deeply deeply close with like my family but it's there there is no matter what there's a difference between that relationship you have inside your own head and it's precious and it's it's a part of what makes us human and it's losable it's so losable if you never spend any time on it if you spend all your time for others presenting yourself to others wow and, man uh, that, that's really profound and deep and correct uh you know i mean <laughs> I, i've just i mean i've just gotten a, like a glimpse of it myself uh i yeah i fear for what we're doing to a lot of these kids brains um and sense of self uh because i certainly never felt that visible and on display when i was um, a kid, you know, it's mm -hmm. like I was a shy uh, bookworm and, you know, go home, close the door and read my fantasy novel or whatever. That's important. I did that too. You asked like, how come I'm like not addicted to drugs or, or you know, uh, in jail or something like, unfortunately, a certain number of kids who experience fame are, I think a lot of it is because 
I was encouraged and, and did have time to just like be by myself and read that fantasy novel and, and like just have that time with myself and not not just be always obsessed with what do other people think of me? How can I present myself to more and more people? And what should that presentation be? And um, it gets convoluted so much with art too. That's the other thing I, 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 well, that, I think Well, that's about the thing about art, man. And like, I, I've experienced something like this even, um, so I, I'm trying to get universal basic income across the finish line. And one of the things that happened on the campaign trail and like, and you can relate to this, is that like people, uh, people need a person to like pin it on. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like if I want this thing to happen, then it's going to have to be me like making the case, talking to people, saying, hey, we should really do this. And there's like this continued projection outward, you know, that that like that you have to do. And not to say I'm like I'm not like an artist or creative in the same way, but like I, there are some parallels because like you mm -hmm. have to continuously like project this energy out uh, and like it and like the, this with the struggle you're describing and creativity go hand in hand because like sometimes you, you like there are creatives who are like look i just like my work to speak for itself but mm -hmm. unfortunately like just no one operates that way <laughs> you know yeah, not I mean? not as much these days like, yeah yeah it's like like the there are there are a few and i admire the hell like donald glover for example not on twitter not on instagram i, I have so much admiration for that and yeah donald um you know i don't you probably know this but they had like donald and i are friendly and he uh came out for my campaign i i, I visited mm -hmm. with him in la and like i didn't know that oh that's that's cool i i, I admire him so much that's great oh yeah yeah he he endorsed me and uh, we did like a pop-up collaboration where we he like his people designed like this sweet uh, gang gang gear. It was like this 1K theme, sort of like urban. Um, and so we did like a pop-up uh, shop appearance together. I was super grateful to him uh, because he endorsed me when, uh, you know, it was like still, um, I, I guess it, it wasn't that mainstream a thing to do, but like, mm -hmm. but, but when, when I talked to him, um, he, he was just like, yeah, I, I can see where things are going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then I was like, oh, well, fantastic! Thank you, Donald. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm with you. It, it was also like part of his uh, his um, humanity that he's like eschewed uh, social media and other ways to to get his work out there. He just lets the work stand. Yeah. Well, and that it's it's such an important thing I think too as as an artist and and nowadays, it, look again, it's wonderful that anybody can take whatever their art is, a piece of writing or a video they made or whatever and post it and have, and have that audience. That's, that is a wonderful thing, but there is this, this other side that comes along with it that if you're always thinking of art in terms of audience, there's a part of the creative process that's, that you'll miss that like all the great artists forever have all experienced where they're just making something for themselves that no one's ever going to see because they're, they're probably young or they, they haven't had their, you know, their career hasn't started yet or whatever. And they're just sitting in their room playing or, or writing or doing their thing. And it's, and it's a, it's a mode of self-exploration. It's not for anybody else. It's how you get in touch with that self of, that I was talking about a second ago. That to me is such a valuable part of what art and creativity is. And it's part of what we really try to celebrate with Hit Record with, when we say, let's emphasize the process as one of our community's core values is enjoy the process. Like doing this together with other people, we are helping each other just stay in this flow of the artistic process and it's yes we want to finish something and, and make something and, and celebrate it with the rest of the community but 
so much of it is just the process of like staying up all night and and being like what what is the exact right way to tell the next beat of this story and then you find it and like when those exhilarating moments they're not about an audience applauding for you they're about your yeah. own success that you yes you figured something you figured it out you know you found it it's about like that struggle and that exploration and, and the big problem right now is like we essentially uh wait for the market to tell us whether something was good and valuable right, right and right, and right. it's it's destroying us mm -hmm. you know like uh so uh, so my my run too it's like there was a time when it was you know people uh laughed at me or thought it was like completely marginal and then we reached a level of mainstream success and the thing i always think about is like look like i'd be the same person if i wasn't uh, if i hadn't gone on joe rogan and like hadn't caught fire in the, <laughs> and the rest of it like i wouldn't be like uh, you know a worse human being if my campaign yeah, had yeah. gone nowhere if anything i might even be a better human being <laughs> like mm -hmm. if my campaign had gone nowhere yeah uh, and, and i might and, be a better artist I, I i honestly think that if i had just been making my own stuff this whole time and and not had a, a commercial career i mean I, I think there would be ups and downs because my commercial career has allowed me to collaborate with other incredible artists um but it also does it has meant that i've spent time doing things that have taken me away from what might have been more kind of unique to me. Well, th that's to be like a reasonable summary of why we're uh, tearing each other apart and getting destroyed. Um, is, is that right now, like, I, and I said this on the trail too, it's like, if you have money on one side in America and then humanity on the other, like money's winning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a lot, like all of our behavior, all of our systems, like our government, our medicine, our mm -hmm. culture, like everything mm -hmm. is just getting like sucked into like this money black hole. Yeah. And then over here you have like humanity. Um, I'd certainly put art here. I'd put mm -hmm. our kids' mental health. I'd put yeah. like like the the struggle and the process regardless of the outcome. Uh, you know, like good people and losing causes, you know, it's it's one reason why like now, like I'm, I'm trying to help these candidates, some of whom, you know, like, like other uh, national figures would be like, well, this person's chances are too low. And I'm just like, I don't really care what their chances are. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like are, are they like a good person? Like, yeah. do I believe in them? You know, maybe I should start there. Uh, yeah. In part, because when I came up, I think I received zero political endorsements from any elected official. Um, mm -hmm. because elected officials did not want to touch like the magical Universe Asian man who wanted to give everyone money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they, they had, you know, like, like, and, and they had like pre-existing political relationships. So they were looking around being like, oh, I should endorse this person because I'll like get some currency. And, and then the, the coin flipped where now I have currency because thank you, Yang Gang. But like now there are like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who donated to my campaign and I've got like a bigger mailing list than, you know, like uh, like uh, anyone except for a handful of national figures. <laughs> so so, so mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like, like then it's like, oh, like now, like Yang is like politically useful. Um, and so mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> so like if you have money on one side, humanity on the other, like humanity is losing and like we have to take it back as quickly as possible. Like the, the software, this machine, like the, the so the black holes like gathering mass. You know, it's yeah. one of those things where, like, as the mass grows, <laughs> like, it gets more powerful. And you can see these, like, desperate, like, clawing gestures for help on the other side where they're like, hey, like, can we not, like, all 
like have our you know like behavior or healthcare or government or anything like determined by what the market likes and doesn't like you yeah. know it's like maybe we should have post offices because we like post offices even if they don't make money <laughs> like, or yeah. maybe, maybe we should just like decide like on a few things it's like you know we think that's a good idea even if it it, it like you know isn't paying for itself or whatever yeah like that everybody should have medicine yeah if they, like, uh, if they need it medicine. maybe in a pandemic it'd be a good idea if we all like, <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't have a have to worry about payment um yeah. and and this thing is it's it's certainly i think it's happening in art in its own way that's like really um it's powerful like and it's complicated so it's not 100 percent clear because like you said there are like positive democratizing effects like you know so and so like you do have folks like making beautiful things and like you know making a living off of them in, in innovative ways um, and so it's not all bad, um, but it's like the complicated stories are the ones that I, I think are like, um, like the, the toughest pe for people to see. Um, but yeah. certainly for, for me right now, like I look up at like, you know, like the death of live music and I think, is this going to be like shit terrible for musicians? Yes. Like yeah. I, I look at like what's going on in terms of the way artists and creatives get rewarded. And I'm like, is this going to be bad over time when there are like a handful of mega corps that, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that we all like subscribe to and they're like feeding us our, uh, our stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's what, what I'm still trying to fight. Uh, and I, you know, I have a few hopes for the future still, um, a few I, levers. I really believe in it, man. I really agree with what you're saying. And I'm, I'm no economist, but I, I, from what I've learned, yeah, the, the free market is the, the best foundation for an economy, but if, but without other things that temper the free market, then it just turns into this black hole like you're talking about the and winner take all the consolidation yeah yeah and, yeah and just not everything in life is going to be properly incentivized by free market capitalism or purely free market capitalism we can ha we can be we can have a, a a good free market capitalist economy but also have other stuff that tempers that and and builds on top of that to make sure that the the other things in life that we care about that aren't so easily monetized can still be part of our life. Because otherwise, yeah, number, number everything's one. just... Yeah, down. number one, you make everyone actually a participant or stakeholder in like, you know, the, the market economy by saying, look, like, like, I don't care who you are, like, you, you're entitled to a certain uh, amount. And then mm -hmm. you have to try and build some counterweight to like this stuff, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like build a counterweight that... Um, that helps humanize things really like yeah. we're, we're losing our humanity progressively and it's one reason why i like i appreciate and admire you so much is that you've been in environments and had like this incredible career that i feel like would have dehumanized 99.9 percent .9 of humans by the way like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely but, yeah but but like you but you you still seem grounded positive um, healthy, productive, caring, uh, empathetic, you know, you, you've got, and I think yes, one of the things that keeps you empathetic is that you, you, you do have like all of these creatives in this community that, uh, you're the, the, the leader of, and, and I'm in a similar boat where it's like, it'll keep you real because like you see all these folks who've invested their belief in you and like their energy and they're like putting their heart and soul into, into this work. Um, and then it makes you better because you're like, well, like certainly if you're going to invest that, then like the least I can do is like, you know, do my part. I definitely think that my time with hit record and all the people that make up the community has made me 
a, a better artist uh, and also just like a a better person that's better at connecting with other people and, and collaborating and figuring out how to do things together with, with someone who's got a different perspective than you or who comes from somewhere else or who has an idea that's different than yours. Um, when opening up that process, uh, I think has taught me a lot. And then it's also taught me a lot, like you say, about, about kind of what it means to try to lead, which, you know, it, when my brother and I started hit record, it was never really the intention, like, okay, we're going to lead this huge thing, but it sort of gradually evolved into something that's, that's now pretty big. And um, certainly there are plenty of bigger things in the world, but like, there's, there's all these people, more people than I know that, uh, that care about it and care about each other. And, uh, and it is, it's, it, I do feel a real responsibility to that and, and, and gratitude because it, it, it gives me a really inspiring reason to wake up every day. That's beautiful, man. It shows. It shows in your work. And uh, the other thing that I know you're experiencing alongside me is like being the parent to two young boys also like stretches you as a person. This is why I wake up every day, for sure. (laughs) Being a dad is just the best, the best. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Well, all the best to you and your family. Uh, Joe Thanks, and, likewise. and yeah can't wait to see Project Power it looks like a really fun movie on Netflix Thanks. every time Netflix delivers us a new good movie it's like a gift to, to everyone especially yeah. at this time it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like what's that like there's a movie to look forward to uh, that the TV series which I know we have a little bit of a wait for um, you know mm-hmm. I think you're in another movie that's out now too um, uh, mm-hmm. the Trial of Chicago there's three Seven. this year yeah Trial of Chicago 7 coming out that's, that's also on Netflix very different than Project Power uh, that'll take a whole other conversation for us to talk about. Very, very relevant movie. Oh, it's fantastic. Well, congrats Dude, so on good everything. to talk to you. I'm really, really glad. I'm just so happy to make friends with you. Um, I got to thank Kevin again for introducing us, and uh, and I hope we get to just stay in touch, man. I, I love talking with you.